Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Bringing you up to speed on the latest in conservation, science, and responsible hunting in Canada. Hey everyone, it's Mark Hall, and you're listening to the Round Canada Podcast. It's been a few years since I've done a year-end wrap-up on the Around Canada Podcast, where I generate a naughty and nice list for the past year. So... They're always kind of fun, actually, looking back on all the stories that I covered over the course of the year and kind of picking the ones that sort of stood out uh, and the people and organization that make my naughty list and make my nice list. So that's what I'm going to do in this episode, have a little little fun wrapping up the year, looking back on 2023. So I'm going to do the top five naughty list and the top five on my nice list. So number five on my naughty list is an organization out of British Columbia, the Vancouver area called Pacific Wild. One of their campaigns is to try to bring about an end to the wolf control program in the endangered caribou recovery zones in northern BC. Earlier in the year, they put in a freedom of information request and they wanted the photographic and video records from the control teams that take out the wolves and they photograph them. And then those photographs go to the provincial veterinarian who looks at um, the animals, glean some stuff off their health, age, uh, that sort of thing, as well as looking at how the animal died, where the bullet was placed and how it fell in the snow. And just to make sure that, you know, they're getting good humane kills. So the, Government originally denied Pacific Wild's request to get those photographic records through a freedom of information and privacy request because they said there's no reason for anybody to have those photographs because they're just for the veterinarian to assess uh, the humane deaths and the other things on the animals. 
Anyways, Pacific Wild took uh, the government to court uh, for denying that request. At the end of the day, they were public documents, public records, and the government had no choice but to relinquish them and hand over the package of photographs. So they did exactly what I was expecting. They said um, the, the photographs were going to be um, very disturbing. Um, if I recall correctly, they were interpreting the photographs and saying, um, supporting the narrative that this is another reason that the wolf call needs to be in. Look at the horrible pictures of these dead wolves. And, you know, a picture of a dead wolf is a picture of a dead wolf. They're not like, you know, the greatest looking pictures. But I got the package of all the photographs and I went through them and there was nothing really that graphic, that disgusting, that bad uh, about the photographs. There were wolves with a hole in the chest, like it were a bullet and a bit of blood. But these animals weren't like, you know, flailing around on the snow and spraying blood all over the place and stuff. They were killed like instantly in their tracks. One of the things that that they do, they'll take pictures of the wolf from the air where it was shot. And one of the ways that they can tell that it died instantly is the way that it just drops in its tracks. So you see the animal where its tracks were running in the deep snow, the helicopter's coming down on it, the shot's fired, and the animal just drops. It just It's a depression in the snow with the wolf laying in it. It's not kicking, it's not flailing, it's not, you know going left or going right because it's been wounded or whatever. It just drops right there, literally in its tracks. And that is an instant death. And I'm looking through the package and seeing some of those, those pictures as well. So anyways, I, I did, I covered this, this story that I went through and basically countered everything that Pacific Wild was saying that the photographs represented to support their campaign to bring an end to the wolf call, which I considered a lot of what they're putting out there to be misinformation. So I countered that and debunked a lot of what they were saying. So the wolf control program in Northern BC, there is no doubt uh, in the scientific literature that it's helping endangered caribou recover. So Pacific Wild is number five on my naughty list because they're continuing to waste people, resources, and money to fight this wolf call when from a conservation perspective, it's actually helping to keep the caribou from going extinct. Now tied for number five is this exact same story, but it's CBC that's number five on my naughty list because they just released a story uh, a few days before Christmas of the exact same information. They said um, that they had obtained these photographic records through a freedom of information request, which I thought was kind of strange because when an organization or individual makes a freedom of request for government records and those that package is released, the government uploads it to its website. There's a section for freedom of information request packages and they're all there in a great big huge database and you can go in and sift through them and download them. 
the original person or organization that made the request sometimes has to pay for that information if it's takes uh, a government employee more than half an hour to pull it together. I think that's the that's the threshold and they have to pay for it. So Pacific Wild probably had to pay, you know, for this, but it goes up on the website and it's free. That I went and got the downloaded the package and looked through all the photographs and countered everything that Pacific Wild was saying that the photographs represented. Well, CBC said they had obtained them through a freedom of information request, which I thought was kind of strange because you could they could just go on and get them like I did because Pacific Wild already got the package in the first place. So that part was kind of weird. But anyways, CBC is right up there tied for number five with Pacific Wild because they're continuing to beat on this drum about the wolf call. They're trying to sell papers and make headlines. And they're part of the problem that's wasting people's time and money and resources for a conservation program that's helping to keep endangered caribou from going as extinct. So congratulations, CBC, year number five on my naughty list for 2023 for that story. Number four on my naughty list, BC is kind of a bad, got got all the bad players, bad actors in, in the country. Not really, but so number four on my naughty list is an organization from the lower mainland area of British Columbia called the Raincoast Conservation Foundation. One of their campaigns is to get donations, to raise money, to buy guide outfitter tenures on coastal BC so they can stop hunting. And they were in um, the process of raising funds, I think it was $1.5 million or $1.7 million to buy another guide outfitting territory on the coast of BC. They've acquired quite a number of them over the years for the express purpose of ending commercial trophy hunting. So guide outfitters that are bringing in foreign clients because they can't stop resident hunters from going in and hunting black bears, cougars, wolves, uh, mountain goats, or whatever. But if they own the outfitter's license, they don't have to bring in foreign hunters to hunt under it. So that's their premise. They're saying they're they're buying these territories to end commercial trophy hunting in perpetuity. Uh, You go on their website and they also say things along the line that they're hedging against the bets that the grizzly bear hunt might come back one day in BC. So they'll own a whole bunch of guide outfitting territories on the coast, which they don't have to hunt grizzly bears because that's not why they're buying the territories. They're buying them to stop hunting. So the reason that they're number four on my naughty list is because technically that is a violation of the Wildlife Act. There's a section of the Wildlife Act, and it's also a clause in a guide outfitter certificate called a, a non-performance clause or a non, non-use clause. It's basically if you're issued the outfitter certificate, it gives you the right to guide non-resident hunters in that geographic area, in the guide territory. If you do not do that, the government has the right 
to take either your quota away and give it to someone who will go harvest quota animals, or they can deny renewing the guide outfitter certificate when it comes up for renewal. So the Raincoast Conservation Foundation is making it explicitly known on their website and social media that they're buying these guide outfitter tenures in order to not hunt, in order to not follow the legal requirements of the guide outfitter certificate. And in my mind, if you are knowingly violating the Wildlife Act in any way, shape or form in the arena of hunting, you're a poacher. You're breaking the Wildlife Act, you're breaking the Wildlife Act. Whether it's not killing an animal or killing an animal out of season, a violation of the Wildlife Act is a violation of the Wildlife Act. If you're issued a tenure to trap, to guide outfit, to fish commercially, and you don't use it, that is a violation of the permit. It's a violation of the Wildlife Act uh, as well in BC, and you're breaking the law, in my opinion. And um, so they're number four on my naughty list. Number three on the naughty list for 2023 is our federal government. Earlier in the year, uh, our Minister of Environment, Stephen Gilbolt, made a recommendation to the government to list the spotted owl, um, sorry, to designate the habitat of the spotted owl on coastal BC as critical habitat under the uh, Federal Species at Risk Act. That protection, that clause of the Species at Risk Act would have brought to a grinding halt uh, any logging in the critical habitat areas. What, one of the provisions of the Federal Species at Risk Act is even if a species goes extinct or is extirpated, and the federal government still uses the power of the Species at Risk Act to identify a geographic area as critical habitat for that species, they will actually protect the species even if it's not there. And they'll protect it in perpetuity in case there's a residual population that rebuilds or there's a population introduced back into its habitat. So they're essentially protecting the habitat should the species be brought back uh, in any way, shape or form. There's one female spotted owl left on the coast of BC and the federal government denied the minister's recommendation to use Sarah to protect spotted owl habitat on coastal BC with basically they're functionally extinct um, because there's only the one natural, um, the one breeding female that's left. They've been trying to introduce uh, captive males into the area. They didn't have a lot of success. A couple died, a couple got injured. Uh, they had to go back and bring them back into the, into the rearing facility. So the federal government itself, um, the uh, elected officials of the government and the ministers themselves uh, are number three on my naughty list for basically writing the spotted owl off and allowing the continued logging of its habitat 
even though there's an active rearing program in coastal BC to raise spotted owl and reintroduce them and hopefully repopulate and recover them, um, they've written off the habitat and they're not going to protect it for the spotted owl. Now, number two on my naughty list for 2023 is actually the minister, the federal minister of environment himself, Stephen Gilbolt. So not that long ago, uh, end of November, early December somewhere, uh, the minister announced that Canada, uh, starting in January, will prohibit the import of elephant ivory and rhinoceros horn from Africa as hunting trophies into Canada. So it was essentially a trophy import ban uh, for elephant and rhino. It didn't matter whether or not those animals were being harvested from sustainably managed uh, hunting reserves in Africa, generating jobs, paying back into conservation that was actually protecting uh, the rhino and elephant populations. They just banned the imports. Now, the main reason that Minister Gilbolt is on the naughty list, number two, is that in his press release, he had the audacity to say that the main threats to African elephants and rhinos is not hunting, it's poaching and habitat loss. So the Canadian government's way of helping African elephants and rhinos is to prevent legal, sustainable hunting by Canadian hunters in Africa by preventing them from bringing their legally obtained hunting trophies back into the country. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to say, oh, A and B are threats to African wildlife, so we're going to do C, which has nothing to do with the threats to mitigate the threats. They'd have been better off to dish out money to some African countries and say, here, bolster up your anti-poaching teams, um, teams that are taking down snares, like those sorts of things. So anyways, it just made no sense whatsoever. I think it was just a uh, uh, political show uh, to get some um, votes or counter some of the negative stuff that the federal government's been getting over the gun legislation. So anyways, um, congratulations, uh, Minister Stephen Gilbo. Uh, you are number two on the 2023 naughty list. Number one on the naughty list for 2023 is our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. And the reason the Prime Minister is on my list of number one for the naughty list is for the, his continued endorsement of allowing his government and the committees to marginalize and attack legal sports shooters and hunters in this country with their gun control bills. It has been proven without a doubt that the federal government's gun control measures will not achieve their goals of making communities safer or reducing violent crime because they're targeting the individuals being law-abiding citizens, sport shooters and hunters and farmers and trappers 
with this gun legislation and they are not the cause of violent crime in this country that's committed with firearms. It's exactly the same scenario as the import, the trophy import ban. These things are causing violent crime to be committed with handguns. They're mostly illegally getting into Canada illegally. So the prime minister is endorsing and allowing a process in his government to go forward to take guns away from the citizens who are abiding by the laws that are not committing violent crimes. Makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And therefore, congratulations in joining your colleague, um, Prime Minister Trudeau, but you're number one on my naughty list this year because of your ridiculous gun control legislation and ideologies. All right, switching over to the nice list. So number five on the nice list is actually, uh, it's not a person or an organization, it's a rodent. And I, I actually, you know, I actually find this like the funniest story from 2023. So anyways, I put it on my nice list because if something makes me laugh, it's got to be on my nice list. So in the town of Banff, in Banff National Park, the ground squirrels had inundated the cemetery. And one of the behavioral characteristics of ground squirrels is they like to find big boulders and then burrow underneath of the boulder and then build out their whole entire living complex. But their entrance is at the base of a boulder. I have it in my front yard <laughs> with the landscaping boulders that are there in the flower gardens and they go right in underneath of those. Uh, so they're, basically it's so that the entrance to their holes uh, are fortified. So if a grizzly bear or a coyote or a badger comes along, he's got to deal with this big boulder. Well, to a ground squirrel, the granite tombstones were as good as boulders. And so they infiltrated the cemetery and they were digging underneath of the tombstones and then building out their family dwellings uh, in the cemetery. And so these tombstones were starting to tip over and the ground was starting to sink a, a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think what the story, what's funny about it is people probably, and myself originally, when I came across the story, I'm conjuring up the image that these rodents are burrowing into <laughs> the graves and burrowing into the caskets and getting some protein, uh, whether it's dehydrated, mummified, or relatively fresh. No offense to the people that are buried in the Banff Cemetery, but it, it's so caddyshack, it just makes me laugh. And uh, um, anyways, the thought of that probably grosses a lot of people out. It doesn't actually gross me out because I think one of the most honorable ways for my body to be returned to nature is for it to be consumed by nature itself. And I'd be just as happy if it was legal for my family to lay me out in the woods and whatever got me, got me, right? And then whatever was left ended up with the plants and the trees absorbing the nutrients. There's somewhere in the Himalayas or whatever where they they do that with people, but they lay them out on these platforms and those gigantic vultures, like with the eight foot wingspans come in and clean up the 
clean up the corpses and then tourists come there and take pictures and stuff. And that sort of idea, like I kind of, I like that idea. I like that idea. So the rodents in Banff, I don't think they were burrowing down and, and making use of the people in the ground. They're simply using the ground and the tombstones as suitable habitat features, grassland with some boulders on it. And they were being labeled as pesky the pesky rodents of the Banff Cemetery. So the city actually captured 160 of them and had to translocate them elsewhere into the national park. So anyways, like I said, it makes me laugh because it's just, it just is so caddyshack. Um, I would actually maybe make a trip to Banff um, just to witness <laughs> what the ground squirrels are doing. Number four on my nice list uh, is another story from Alberta. And it's a great story because the Alberta government actually recognized and acknowledged how important hunting, fishing, and trapping and guide outfitting is to their economy and to the heritage of the province of Alberta that they actually created an entire separate branch called the Alberta Hunting, Fishing, and Trapping Branch. And all that branch and its staff does is manage hunting opportunities. And their mandate is to optimize all hunting, fishing, trapping, and outfitting opportunities so that the province of Alberta is using what's available for sustainable wildlife resource use to its optimum, not the maximum. So it's not like they're going to, you know, sell a deer tag for a hundred dollars and sell as many deer tags as there are deer like that. that, That's maximizing. Um, but then it's not sustainable harvesting. So the, the directive, the mandate is to optimize what for every area and every group of species, whether it's trapping or fishing, whether it's lake fishing or river fishing, and depending on the populations and habit, all these things got to be taken into consideration. How can they optimize hunting, fishing, trapping, and outfitting for across the entire spectrum in Alberta? It's the first and only branch of government that I know of in the entire country that's been specifically earmarked to manage hunting, fishing, trapping, and outfitting. And that is on my nice list because everywhere else I look, like in BC where I live, everything's being done for conservation organizations that take our conservation dollars, our government, our wildlife branches are doing everything to sanitize their language, their their print media, their websites, their everything to distance themselves from hunting and trapping. And that's frustrating is all hell. But Alberta has actually gone the other way and embraced it at the highest political levels, at the premier level, they went hunting, fishing, trapping, guide outfitting is part of Alberta's economy and our heritage. And we are acknowledging that by creating a branch of the government whose job is specifically to make sure that that group of people is getting the most that they can in a sustainable way from the land 
in the province of Alberta. And that's amazing. I love that story. Number three on my nice list, not to, you know, always be hammering on the federal government, but the Department of Fisheries and Oceans Canada is actually number three on my nice list. And what they did this year is they announced um, a whole bunch of money to study uh, seal and sea lion populations on the East Coast and on the West Coast of Canada. So $200,000, it's not a lot, um, was set aside to study California and stellar sea lion population and population dynamics on the West Coast. The West Coast of Canada does not have a seal or sea lion hunting season and it does not have a commercial quota for Indigenous peoples. They do on the in the Arctic and on the West Coast or the East Coast. So indigenous harvesters can actually sell um, fur and meat on the West Coast. They can still harvest for food social ceremonial purposes under the Constitution. But they, as far as I understand it, they don't have the right to sell the products uh, from the seals. So. Even though this study isn't specifically to study the populations to generate a hunting season, it was not explicit, it's inferred. And people that I've talked to in the background have signaled that this is kind of what DFO is looking at. In fact, about two years ago, I was actually asked in confidence to um, produce a document that went to DFO on some considerations for how they would move forward and frame a hunting season for pinnipeds on the West Coast. And so I, I did that. And, you know, I cited some stuff from, um, you know, the wolf call and the language that was used and why that created controversy and urban deer calls and a bunch of stuff and just gave some recommendations. So I've known for a couple of years that there is some interest in a West Coast seal and sea lion hunt, which could mean you and I as resident hunters being able to buy a seal tag or a sea lion tag uh, and go harvest those just like, you know, we would a deer other than like a four ton sea lion <laughs> sized deer. Anyways, uh, and, and I think the driver behind this is the recognition that pinnipeds, seals, and sea lions uh, have been identified as one of the major causes of salmon declines on the West Coast, which is impacting uh, salmon returns. Uh, and it's also impacting the southern resident killer whale population as well, especially the, the declines in Chinook. And a lot of even scientists have pointed at the explosion of the pinniped population. Uh, so... Anyways, congratulations, DFO. Um, even though you're just doing a study, you've uh, formed a partnership with the uh, um, Helsuk First Nations near Bella Coola uh, to undertake uh, a collaborative um, data collection and traditional knowledge collection around seal and, uh, sea lion, California, and stellar sea lion populations on the West Coast. So... I've tentatively put that on the nice list because I see that as the first step, some baseline information towards a future decision uh, 
on a pinniped hunting season on the west coast of Canada. Number two on my nice list is the Saskatchewan and Alberta government. And the reason that I have them on the nice list is specifically because those two provinces amended Saskatchewan brought in Provincial Firearms Act and Alberta amended its Provincial Firearms Act to push back against the federal government and Justin Trudeau's government and all of their gun control legislation, primarily being the quote-unquote military-style assault weapon buyback confiscation program that's earmarked to come into effect after the next federal election now. So Saskatchewan and Alberta were just so PO'd about this that they made provisions within their provincial legislation, which is going to make it very difficult for the RCMP to confiscate or collect uh, firearms that are federally prohibited. And I think the mechanism that's used is that the RCMP would need to, under provincial legislation, get approval of the province of Alberta and the province of Saskatchewan to go ahead with collecting and confiscating prohibited firearms. And then the theory is that the provinces would never actually grant that permission. And so they would basically throw up a firewall to prevent Alberta and Saskatchewan residents from having to relinquish firearms in that province. So an interesting counter tactic. And the reason I put that on my nice list was just, it's good to see some very powerful pushback against these gun control bills, which just on a weekly basis this year, just seemed to be this onslaught of attacks against the good citizens of this country that own firearms for recreational hunting or trapping or predator protection on farms. Number one on my nice list for 2023 is the Saskatchewan Wildlife Federation. Um, The Saskatchewan Wildlife Federation won an award this year uh, from the Canadian Wildlife Federation, the Doug Clark Memorial Award for a conservation project. The initiative that the Saskatchewan Wildlife Federation won this award for um, was that they created a Women in Conservation Forum. And they brought women from all across the country together in the first inaugural forum, a big, huge, you know, like, Reno type convention sort of thing, uh, Saskatchewan style, but bringing women together under the forum of wildlife conservation, habitat and wildlife management. And I think that is the best story across Canada for 2023, because I am just so excited, um, and, honored and thrilled to see so much more of this hunting space and this conservation space in this country to be echoing the voice 
of women hunters and women in hunters in conservation. And I love that. I want to see more of it uh, because I think women's voices in the hunting space and as it relates to conservation is different than men's. And most of what we have today, as far as hunting, conservation, our philosophies, our ideologies, uh, our belief systems, our values in hunting and its role in conservation, it revolves around the way men think about these things and the way men hunt and the way men see wildlife. And that translates into policy and conservation initiatives. Not that any of that's bad, but I love seeing the growth of women in the conservation and hunting sector because I believe in the interactions I've had listening to women that I've had on the show is they have a different way of looking at things. Um, and each person has a different way of looking at things. But the fact that the Saskatchewan Wildlife Federation said, you know, this hasn't been done nationally and they created this and it was true. Nobody was actually doing this nationally and bringing together truly just bringing women together to champion and move ideas, uh, principles and philosophies forward in the field of how hunting is connected to conservation. So to me, that was the greatest story of 2023 in Canada. I hope to see more of it in 2024. And thank you to the Saskatchewan Wildlife Federation and all the women across Canada that participated in the forum, uh, putting in their own time, effort and expenses to be part of that forum. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your voice ideas uh, in the future and so we can embrace those and protect this thing that we love in this country, which is wildlife, wildlife habitat and a right to be able to go out and hunt animals off the land for food and for enjoyment purposes and for connecting with nature. So thanks for everybody for that, that, amazing uh, initiative this year. Thank you everybody for listening and following the show over uh, the course of the year. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the feedback that I got from you, especially folks that wrote in and ha had a bit more information about a story that I covered. And I was able to take that into the next episode and enhance the knowledge and understanding of a particular topic because people that are right there in some of these stories that are embedded in these stories uh, are reaching out to me and and it's it's not for my benefit but they're doing that because and i have a responsibility to impart that knowledge back to all of you because uh, i want you to all know everything and and um if the podcast is a bit of a conduit for people sending me information that I can then turn around and relay back out to everybody, we're all on the same playing field. We're all level with our understanding of these stories because, man, so many of these stories, I, I'm covering stories and I've never been to these places. So I really, really value everybody that's done that. Um, this is an invitation for more people to reach out to me at Mark at bloodorigins.com in 2024. Tell me your stories. 
tell me what's going on. Um, give me your thoughts on these stories so that I can make the information that's coming out in this podcast even better. If you happen to have a family relative that was in the Banff Cemetery and you uh, you didn't like my story, uh, the Caddyshack thing, um, that's fine. Let me know that too. But uh, hopefully not. Anyways, thanks everybody. And uh, we will see you in the next year.